we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. All right, good morning, church. You can be seated. How's everybody? Happy Independence Day. I, uh, if we haven't met, my name is Jeff Gale. I've been honored, and uh, it's been a great privilege to be uh, part of your staff for the last 15 years in various capacities. And uh, I can't believe it's already been 15 years. It feels like we're just getting started. So um, welcome to Pathway Church. We are glad you are here, whether you're here in the house, online, wherever it is, it's great to be together. And we know that for those of us in the United States, we're celebrating uh, an important day today, you know, because 245 years today, our nation declared its independence from the tyranny of King George and, and England you know, they, they started this great experiment called democracy, and, uh, and we're still going. You know, it was this uh, group of colonists who, who said, you know, we're going we're gonna to be our own nation, and uh, the world is going to watch, and they're going to see how it's done. And they did it, you know, kind of as an echo to the earliest settlers in uh, uh, Massachusetts Bay Colony. John Winthrop, he preached a sermon in 1630. And he was telling these early colonists, he said, listen, you're going to be like a city on a hill, referencing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? You're going to be a city on a hill, and all the world is going to watch. And it's going to be one of those things where they're going to say, oh, okay, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. And so here we are uh, in the year 2021, and... Uh, the world is still watching. You know, we're still relatively young, 245 years old, not even 250 yet. England is like 1,100, right? They're old. But we're young, and the world is still watching and asking the question, will this great experiment called democracy work? You know, when I was a, a kid growing up, I always thought that we were a nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I grew up in a military family. My dad was in the Air Force. Uh, and, and, and I remember patriotism being a big part of who we are. I remember as a kid in, in Washington, D.C., going to a Fourth of July uh, celebration and just being in awe of the overwhelming spectacle of the celebration of our freedom uh, as these United States and the fireworks and the music. And I remember getting chills all up and down my body and, and tears in my eyes. And I was late elementary school, and I'm like, what is this all about? And it was that pride of patriotism. And I felt sorry for people in other countries. I thought, oh, that's too bad. They can't be Americans too, right? And, and that was a child's mindset, of course. But I just knew I was so lucky to be a part of this nation. 
And I was patriotic, and I, I oozed the optimism of the 80s. I know I'm going to date myself here. I graduated high school in 1985, and, and that decade was so optimistic, <clears throat> and I was all about that, all of it. I was in Scouts. I became an Eagle Scout. I was on the debate team. I competed in Future Business Leaders of America. You know, I, I just, I thought it was the land of opportunity and freedom, and uh, we're going to make use of that freedom. And if you want to know who I connected with as a kid in high school, again, some of you will not understand this reference, but in the 80s there was this show called Family Ties, and Michael J. Fox played, played a character on that show. And if you want to know who I was, that, that's kind of who I identified with as a teenager. But it was such a hopeful decade and, and so optimistic. And... Uh, and I just thought that one day, you know, I'm going to have kids. I'm going to have kids, and they're going to be as optimistic as I was. And they're going to see that we are a nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Having no idea how technology would evolve and media would evolve to, to begin working on shaping these differing polar views as to who we are and who we should be couldn't see that coming. And so here we are in 2021. And we're not a nation so indivisible after all, are we? I mean, we still have a lot of work to do. And the world is still watching. You know, in Winthrop's 1630 sermon, he was reminding those early colonists who they were, and whose they were. He was telling them that only by the grace of God and God's guidance and direction and only by your pure intentions and spirit of heart is this new thing going to work. And they wanted so badly to be free to worship in the way that they wanted to, that they felt God was calling them to, they risked everything. Can you imagine? Can you imagine in the early 1600s taking your kids and, and packing in a, an overstuffed boat and going from the European shores to a new continent, an ocean away? The risks involved, the uncertainty of what awaited you. But freedom to them was that important that they would risk everything, even their children's lives, to have a chance at that kind of freedom. And we get it, don't we? I mean, we hunger for freedom from anything that is tyrannical or, or oppressive in our lives. When somebody wants to control us, what do we do? We... <clears throat> No, no, you can't. So, here's my question. We're free. We're here, worshiping in the way we want to, in this great nation of ours. And blood has been spilled so that we can have the freedom that we have today. Men and women have given their lives so that we could physically be free in this country. And Christ died and shed his blood so that we might know spiritual freedom. So my question is, 
If so much blood has been spilled and so much sacrifice has occurred so that we might be free, why is it that so many of us are living lives that don't seem to be free? Why are so many of us just stuck in this rut of existence, wishing for something else because we feel trapped and we're suffocating? Blood has been spilled. Freedom is not free and the price has been paid and yet here we are supposedly free and we're not living as though we're free. Do we even want freedom? I mean, who's really free anyway? Why desire it at all? Well, number one in your notes, we desire it because God created us to be free, right? God created us to be free. If you go back to to the creation story in Genesis, you have... Adam and Eve, but God has created the universe and the the world and all that is in it, the animals, the plants, the oceans, the sky, the sun, the moon, all of it. And he places Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and it's paradise, paradise. And they are free to be as God created them to be. And he says, do whatever you want. Enjoy what I have given you. Enjoy your freedom. Except this one thing, just don't do this one thing, okay? Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You just don't do that one thing. Everything else, be free, enjoy. Because my gift to you is freedom. But we know what happens. I mean, the honeymoon doesn't last, right? The serpent comes crawling along and whispers in Eve's ear, hey, 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 have you tried? Have you tried the fruit from that tree yet? And Eve says, no, no, can't do that. That's, that's forbidden. I thought you were free. Well, I am free. These are my words. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Well, if you were free, you could eat from that tree. I am free. Then eat it. I don't want to eat it. Let's get Adam to eat it. And like a good husband, does what he's told, right? <laughs> and what happens? Uh-oh. Everything changes. Paradise is lost. Their freedom is lost. They realize they're naked. They're ashamed. They're embarrassed. They try to hide from God. And no longer are they free. They're stuck in this place of fear and shame and guilt. Because, number two, freedom was and always seems to be lost after the fall. If they would have just followed that one rule, just don't eat this fruit from this tree, just that one thing. But it was too much. And there were consequences for their actions. There would be pain and suffering and death and struggle and life would be hard. And yet God restored relationship and they could still enjoy freedom and relationship with God in that context. I mean, we have these stories throughout Scripture where freedom is is freely given by God to his people. And then then somehow they lose it, and they have to find it again. 
It's freedom, lost and found. Freedom, lost and found. Found again. Again and again. When, when Israel understood themselves to be a nation, they were freed from Egyptian captivity, Egyptian slavery, right? And so they're, they're, they're leaving Egypt, and they're going to be their own nation, free to do whatever they want. And Moses goes up the mountain to Mount Sinai and has a powwow with God. And uh, God says, listen, Moses, the future is so bright for, for, for you guys. Listen, just here's ten things now. Ten, ten things you don't do, all right? We'll say these are the ten commandments. And follow these, and the rest, you're free to do whatever you want. Enjoy the freedom I give to you. And don't you know, Moses comes down the mountain, and before he's even down all the way, they're breaking all the rules already. And so they get lost, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they, 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 they've lost their freedom again. And so as Israel, you know, evolves and, and, and grows, becomes more complex, they say, okay, <clears throat> the 10 wasn't right. The 10 rules weren't right. We, we need more. We need more. Okay, so... Let's say uh, 613 now. 613 rules. People of Israel, you are free to be whatever you want. Do whatever you want except these 613 things. Just remember these 613. But everything else is great. Be free. Oh. What happened? They became prisoners to the law. And they couldn't experience freedom because they were so afraid of breaking the laws that they had to dial in and remember those 613. So Jesus, what, enters into history. And he's giving them the gift of freedom from the law. Paul says it in his uh, letter to Galatians 5.1. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The people were stuck in their under, uh, uh, in not understanding what freedom was. The whole point of the law was so people would know how to live freely with each other. But it was too much. The law itself became a form of tyranny. And so Jesus says, okay, look, I think in this Situation, you guys lost your way. You didn't quite understand the spirit of the law. So let's reduce it. It's not going to be 613. It's not going to be 10. It's just going to be one. Just one. And there are going to be two parts. I know it's hard to remember, but just remember this love. Love God, love each other, and be free. And be free. Growing up in my parents' house, <clears throat> my mother was very strategic, I think, in placing reading material throughout the house that was uh, religiously oriented and, and, and had little lessons. And in our um, you know, bathroom reading in our house was like C.S. Lewis, who was the greatest theologian of the last uh, century. And I thought it was all just decor. I didn't understand that maybe she was helping to teach my sister and I uh, these values. But uh, to this day, there are still these things around the house. And I was there recently, and I was in their guest room. And on the wall, there was uh, <clears throat> this little sign that my mom has. And, and this is what it says. It says, if it pleases you to please God, you can do as you please. 
And I thought, wow, that gets it. That gets the essence of the freedom that we have in Christ and in our relationship with God. If it pleases you to please God, then do as you please. Because number three, physical freedom, if we think of physical freedom, physical freedom is a myth. While spiritual freedom is God's desired reality for us. I mean, physically, are we really free? Are we? We're born into a family we didn't choose, into a place we didn't choose, into bodies we didn't choose, and they only have five senses, and we can't fly, and mobility that we have over time fades. I mean, are we really free physically? I mean, we can experience relative freedom. Do you remember stages in your life where you would think that you were free now? Uh, At some point in in late elementary school, I remember the amazement I felt at the freedom I had. I, I no longer had to raise my hand to ask to go to the bathroom. Oh my gosh, I'd arrived. I was my own man now. Nobody's going to tell me when I can and can't go. Or when I had a learner's permit and then I turned 16 and I got my regular driver's license and I didn't have to have my mom or dad or another adult in the car with me. Woo! <laughs> I've arrived now. I am free. When I had my own car and it could take me places that my bike couldn't go. Oh, forget about it. That was it. Was I really free? No, but I was relatively free. I was freer than I was before in my mind. You know, that's physical freedom. But when we talk about pleasing God, when we talk about if it pleases you to please God, you can do as you please, we're talking about spiritual freedom. When we talk about the gift of freedom that God gives us, it's spiritual freedom. I mean, Physical freedom is great, but did you know that so much of our New Testament was written from prison? It's spiritual freedom that the forces of evil would try to strip from us. And that was what prompted the the pilgrims and the Puritans to take the risks to relocate to a new world, free, living a good life, not under the rule of tyranny. So, I come back to what I asked before. If so many lives have been lost, so much blood has been spilled, Christ has died so that we might know freedom, why is it that so many of us still live lives as though we're not free. And maybe you think you're free. Maybe, maybe you're like, no, I'm totally free. Great. Awesome. But a lot of us would love to have what you have. And if you're not sure, and if you want to move toward that spiritual freedom that God has designed for you, 
you need to do some self-examination and check your symptoms. And there are some symptoms that might indicate that you are not living spiritually free as God created you to live. And we're going to go through seven of them. And we're not going to do a deep dive today on these, but in your life steps this week, each day you'll have an opportunity to do some deeper personal reflection and prayer on where this is working in your life or not working. And so let's go with these signs, symptoms of living as a spiritual prisoner. The first one, guilt and shame. This is the granddaddy of them all. Um, So many of us just are stuck and can't move forward because we don't like the person we've become. We don't like who we have been either because we're, we're, we're filled with guilt uh, about something we've done in our past or we're, we're ashamed of, of who we've been and how we've treated people or something in our past is just holding us back from living the life that, that God would have us live. And we have accepted our identity to be anchored in that point of guilt and shame and heaviness and this baggage that we just carry with us everywhere we go in life. Isaiah 43, 18 to 19 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And this is a reminder to you that you are invited to live free of your guilt, free of your shame, free of your past, and begin again. Our faith, my friends, is a faith of new beginnings. Of new beginnings. And today, 2021, July 4th, can be your Independence Day. If you have sincerely repented in your heart and asked God to forgive you and make you new, you are a new creation in Christ. Say, God, I am yours. I am here. Forgive me for what I've done. Forgive me for who I've been. I want to be used by you. Use me as your instrument, God. And guess what? God will do that. God will do that. Because he created you for his purposes. And he doesn't want you getting in the way of you or in the way of what he wants to do in and through you. So put the guilt and shame away and go forth and sin no more. Be free in Christ, my friends. The second is blame. Matthew 7, 3 to 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is about our perspective, right? You find it hard sometimes to take responsibility for your own actions, for your own choices, for your own decisions. Your life's circumstances, it's not your fault. Your marriage is the pits because of your spouse. Your job is miserable because of your boss. You are the way you are because of your parents. Your health is such because of what everybody around you eats all the time. You're stuck 
in this place of blame and not recognizing that you're responsible for your choices. Nobody can live your life for you, so why are you trying to let them? The next is short-sightedness or far-sightedness. This might say near-sightedness or far-sightedness. And this is when you can't see what's ahead because you're so focused on what's right here. Or it might be you can't see what's right here because you're so focused ahead. My wife and I, I, th- I thank you, God, for Janine Gale. She is a master at staying on task and being in the moment. She knows what needs to be done, how it needs to be done. And, and I have my head in the clouds so often, and I'm going, hey, this is where we're going. Yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I forget, oh, right here, whoa. This is what needs to be attended to. And so I'm blessed to have a partner in my life who balances me, right? And we, we, can, we can work well that way together. But there have been times, uh, for all of us, I assume, where you, you get blind to what's either in front of you or where, what's coming ahead, um, and you miss what God has in store. And the danger in that is that you can slip into this state of helplessness and hopelessness. If you find yourself, if you wonder if, if this is an issue for you, check your language. Do you use absolute terms? Are you finding yourself saying often, always, never? It's never going to be any different. It's always going to be like this. You're never going to change. You're always going to be like this. I'm never going to change. I'm always going to be like this. Always and never. We're, we're, we're trapped. We're stuck. We're captive to, to toxic thinking that is not of God. Because as Chris reminded us last week when he shared Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. How can you receive that gift of God of freedom that has a, a, a hope and a future for you? If you don't look up and see it and trust that it's there. God is trying so hard to give you these these keys to freedom. That you might live the life filled with joy and filled with freedom. Because guess what? Life is short and you only get this one. You don't need to live trapped or boxed in. You can be spiritually free. The fourth is comparing yourself to others in in jealousy, right? The Tenth Commandment. What's the Tenth Commandment? Do not covet. That means don't want what somebody else has. And so many of us get caught up in, in FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. When something's going on and you're not part of it, somebody's getting something that you're not getting, you know, the old keep keeping up with the Joneses. We focus, we, we tend to, to shift our focus from wanting what others have instead of just being grateful for what God has given us and being good stewards of that which God has given us. 
And if that's you, do some work on that. And, and do a gratitude journal. Give thanks to God every day. In your prayers, do you, in your prayers, are you thanking God every day? Or are you just asking God for stuff? Be grateful and identify those things that you are grateful for every single day. Number five, anger, violence, fear. Okay, there are so many verses in the Bible on anger, uh, violence, and fear that we, we can't share them all. But, but here's a few just to give you a taste. Treacherous people have an appetite for violence. Proverbs 13, 2. All their activity is filled with sin, and violence is their trademark. Isaiah 59, 6. Give up your violence and oppression and do what is just and right. Ezekiel 45, 9. When we get angry or violent, it's almost always a response to fear or a threat of some sort. Something is coming at us and, and we're afraid. And so we, 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 our biological wiring, the fight or flight instinct kicks in and rah, right? And that's natural, that's human, that's how God made us. So it's not wrong to feel anger or, or, or react that way sometimes. But if you find yourself reacting all the time or often, if people around you are careful, oh, we don't want to upset so-and-so, we don't want to start a fight. We don't want to cause tension. We don't uh, just keep the peace. If you see people around you acting that way, or they're walking on eggshells around you, like, oh, what's going to set them off this time? Maybe that's a sign that you need to do some reflection and introspective work and see and ask yourself, what is it that's scaring me? What am I afraid of right now? What is threatening me? that I'm reacting this way in anger or violence. And if you can identify that, you got something to work with. You can unpack it and, and unravel it a little bit. If you can't identify, then you gotta ask yourself, well, am I doing this in a way that I'm using it as a, a tool because it's working for me? I'm tired of people being around me, so I wanna be alone, what do I do? Rah! Right? keeps people away, and maybe it's working for you, and that's what you're using. Or worse, it might be drifting into uh, the next issue, the next sign, and that is the need to control. If people are living their lives around you in a way that you don't want them to, if you find you're, you're putting all these conditions on relationships, friendships, that you're going to be my friend, if you're going to be in relationship with me, whatever, you're going to do this, 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 and this. Or if you find it that you like to, to have your thumb on people and control them and lord over them in business or in your family or anywhere, you're using these methods to control others, and ultimately it doesn't work. Because you have to try harder and harder and harder. Because what do people do when they try to be controlled? What do people do? They throw a tea party, right? 
and they declare their independence. Nobody wants to be controlled. Like the great theologians in that band, 38 Special, I know I'm dating, dating myself again, so they said, hold on loosely, but don't let go. If you cling too tightly, you're going to lose control, right? The harder you push, the harder it is to control. So why waste your energy and time on that? It's important for the people in your life to know that they can chart their own course in life. It's important to their health, mental, physical, and spiritual, and it's important to yours to be free to allow that and not be threatened by their different choices. And finally, and this one, this one, this one's fresh. I, I still, still struggle with this. It's, it's viewing your opponents as enemies. In Luke chapter 6, he says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This remains one of the most difficult teachings of Jesus that I struggle with. Because it makes no sense. How do you love your enemies? How do you love someone who won't love you back? Where is the justice in letting them get away with stuff that they shouldn't get away with? And it's, it's hard. It's a challenge, this teaching of Jesus's. But, you know, I think there's nothing more American than having opposing political parties. I mean, it's what makes our system of government work. I mean, it can get tense sometimes, right? We know it gets tense, especially around elections. I mean, we're still living very near the way, in, in the wake of, of, of the recent election. And we are all aware of the polarity that exists in the political divide in our nation. That is no secret. We're all aware. But here's what I'm going to tell you. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. It's been going on from the beginning. Did you know that our second president, John Adams, when he was running against Jefferson, they both got into smear campaigns and, 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 and lying and, and really trying to hurt each other politically in, in, the, in the race for the presidency. And Adams lost that race to Jefferson, and he was so livid, so upset, so disgusted that he lost to that guy that he would not attend Jefferson's inauguration. I'm just saying, it's not new. It's not new. But here's the thing about Jefferson and Adams. Let's, let's look at them again. Jefferson and Adams. After they were presidents, 
they began writing letters to each other so that they could understand each other. And over the course of the rest of their life, they wrote over 350 letters, personal, private communications to one another. And through those letters and that relationship, they learned to trust each other. They learned to admire each other, respect each other, and yea, I would even say love each other. Because in that, they realized that they were opponents. They were not enemies. They were and we are all fighting for the same thing in our country. We want to make our country better. That's our goal. Wherever you are in it, your opponent is not your enemy. And Adams and Jefferson came to understand this. And through that relationship, they found healing. And I would say even a spiritual bond that transcended uh, our imagination because the most poetic thing, I think about th their relationship of these two who hated each other so much in their political career. Did you know that in 1826, July 4th, 50 days, uh, 50 years, excuse me, 50 years to the day of signing the Declaration of Independence, they both died. Same day. Same day. Coincidence? Well, I don't know. Opponents are good for us. Because worthy opponents make our game better. In sports and other competitions, there's a reason that you have to be good enough to play in certain leagues, right? I, I'm not going to make the pros in anything, ever. Because I'm not allowed to play at that level. You know? Most of you won't either. Some of you might. But the reason is, we don't want mismatched competition. We want worthy opponents who make us all better. And, and, and as we don't like mismatched opponents on, on the field or in a game, we also don't like watching a competition when it gets ugly and personal, do we? When, when, when it seems like the fight on the field goes beyond the game and what's going on on the field and it gets personal, we don't like to watch. Because we understand that the fight doesn't have to be everywhere. We always like to see at the end of the game, uh, teams, after a hard-fought game, you know, and we're grieving the loss or celebrating the win, we like to see both teams shake hands and show respect to each other and say, good game. Even the, in the most violent of sports, like hockey. I mean, even hockey players can shake hands with one another after all the bloody fighting and hard game they had. If you're viewing people who are different than you 
anyone who's competing for the same thing as you, anyone who argues against you or your positions as your enemy and not your opponent, you are uh, finding yourself captive to this prison of, of fear, hate, and resentment. You will find yourself with this desire to control or even harm others. And in that, you will be moving farther and farther from God. And you will be not focusing on the things of God, but you will be focusing more and more about that hate that you're feeling and that's burning in the belly of your stomach. The enemies you need to be concerned about are not the ones who are your opponents. The enemy you need to be worried about is the evil one who is whispering the lies into your ear. Seeding seeds of hate and doubt and division. That's the enemy you need to concern yourself with. Not God's children who you are vilifying and turning into your enemies when they're just opponents. Because ultimate freedom is found in trusting God and trusting each other. Trust shows up in 134 different verses in the Bible. God is talking about it all the time. He's saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. The psalmist says, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. And it's so important. It just shows up again and again and again and again. And why is it so important? Because where there is trust, there is that opportunity for relationship and love and God created us for that. He created us to be in relationship with him and with each other. And where do we experience that love of God? We experience it in relationship when we can trust each other. So, if you want to be free, know what 2 Corinthians 3.17 says. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Say it again. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where does the Spirit of the Lord reside? In the context of our relationships. Where there is trust, there is the Spirit of the Lord. And if you as a Christ follower can do this one thing and create in you a space for others to know and love God by being known and loved by you, you are doing the work that God has called you to. So create that relational space where somebody can be themselves with you without judgment, without condemnation, that in you they can be free because in God you are free. Right? My friends, people died for our freedom. Christ died so that we can know freedom in him. Christ is giving you the gift of freedom right now. And he says, you are free. You are free, and you are free, and you are free because I've given everything so that you might know freedom. So today, 
July 4th, 2021 is your Independence Day. Will you accept this freedom that Christ gives you now? Will you be free in Christ? If so, let us stand and celebrate the freedom we have as Americans and in Christ. Amen. Come on, let's declare this all together. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's what we are going to declare together. So let's sing it out. Come on. Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. joining us if you would like more information on pathway or to get connected to a ministry visit our website at pathway.church we look forward to growing with you as we worship together god loves you god is with you